We're going to continue on with our series in Jude, which will be the last message on Jude. We're going to be reading from verses 17 right through to the end of verse 25. So if you turn your Bibles to Jude, and we'll begin reading at verse 17. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, in the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. Verse 20, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, Praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Saviour, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time, and now and forever. Amen. I'm sure God will add a blessing to his word this morning. Last week we saw from verses 5 to 16 that Jude changed his tactic somewhat from appealing in verses 3 and 4, appealing to the believers to contend earnestly for the faith, and he changed to dishing out warnings to those who teach or reject anything other than God's revealed truth. And Jude, in those warnings, used numbers of historical examples where God righteously judged such people in Israel's history. We also saw that these examples were a gross departure, that they did not only happen in Israel's history or even in Jude's time, in that first century church, but the very same thing is rampant in the professing church today. And the text makes it very clear that God will eternally judge all those who teach such heresy and all those who gullibly follow them. So last week was heavy on warning, warning, warning from God. Real heavy. But praise the Lord, he doesn't leave his people in a state of fear or, or leave them wondering how on earth Will we or will I ever spiritually survive and thrive in this seductive, counterfeit religious world? How will I do that? He doesn't leave us there. Because you know as well as I do that there are some pretty enticing preachers, churches and belief system out there, aren't there? And if you turn your television on and you will hear and get plenty of that, there are some good ones, there are some not so good. And many of those attractive enticements, sad to say, are in direct opposition to 
the truth of God's word, even on the fundamentals of the faith. We must be very clear there's a, a big difference between heresy and error. Someone, with some, someone said once that most preachers preach about 90% correct and 10% error. You know, we get things wrong. We don't know exactly what things mean and so we teach what we believe it means but it may not be right. So it can be error. But what we're having here in this text is about heresy, the moving away from the fundamentals of the faith, moving away from God's revelation. But how do you know? How do you know? How do you tell which is right and which is wrong? That's the question, right? How do you discern God's truth in such a smorgasbord of, of religious ideas in order to thrive and survive as a Christian and in the Christian life? How do you know? After all, we all know it's so easy to be distracted, isn't it? Not only by our own fleshly desires, they can sure distract us from the things of the Lord, but we're also distracted by the plethora of erroneous positions on what the faith that was once for all handed down to the saints, what that really looks like. So how do we make way and bring glory to God in the, in the mix of all this that Judah's confronting us with? So that's the question that Jude answers in this next section, this last section of his book, letter. As I said before, God does not leave us without providing. And here he provides what I would like to say as a personal plan. He does not leave us to battle out and figure it out for ourselves, though many do try and do that, sad to say. You see, folks, as God's matchless grace has chosen and called us to salvation it's by that very same grace that he provides for us and keeps us and we've been singing about that this morning and as Jude has already stated we go right back to verse 1 we see that we are called by God and that we're beloved of God and that we're also kept by God and we know from Philippians 1 verse 6 that the Lord will perfect the good work that he has begun in us amen Praise the Lord for that. And so this last section divides itself up fairly clearly here. From verses 17 to 19, we see something of the problems that we will face as we try to spiritually survive and thrive as believers in this world. Some of the problems. And from verses 20 to 23, we see God's plan for the believer to survive and thrive. And then in verse 24 and 25, we see God's provision so that we can spiritually survive and thrive here on, heaven, here on earth and then in heaven. So we have the problems, we have the plan, we have the provision for any or of any believer who seeks to flourish in his Christian life or her Christian life for the glory of God. So let's dig into the text a little bit and see what the Lord has to say. And the first point I've got is the problems we face or can face when trying to survive and thrive as Christians. We see this in 17 to 19. Now we all know that there's no end of many difficulties that we may face. And these difficulties that we face 
are all set on steering us off course in our Christian living. Especially false teaching, as that is the subject that Jude confronts here. It's Satan's way of, of setting us off course. And in this section, Jude lets us know that the Lord wants us to stay true to him. He does. He really wants us to stay true to him. And so he begins with these words in verse 17. He says this, But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice how Jude returns to that word that we spent some time on when we first looked at this book in verse 1. Beloved. You see that? And he also mentions it again in verse 20. So it's three times in this text he uses this word. And it's two ways. It's beloved. It's not only beloved to Jude, but more importantly and primarily, we are, the believers are, beloved of God. So every truly born-again believer is beloved of God. And this is God's covenantal love, his eternally promised love. This never-fade-or-fall kind of love. So Jude reminds us that although we face many difficulties that tempt us to go soft on contending the faith that was once for all handed down to the saints, there is many temptations to go soft on that, even though that may be the case, Jude says, you're still beloved of God. That's a great encouragement, isn't it? How often we fail him in this. How often we fail in speaking up when we should and standing firm. And so because of this eternal sacrificial love that has been bestowed on us, on us, what ought we do? We ought, that's the word that's used there, we ought. This is what believers ought to do. We are to remember. Remember. Remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, you ought to push aside all the man-made religious ideas out of your mind and remember, this word remember has the idea of dwelling upon, meditating and thinking upon the inspired words of the apostles. Not of the words of the Pope or not of the bishop or not of me, but of the apostles. And what did those apostles say on this subject? They said this, in the last time there will be mockers following after their own lusts. You see that? The apostles, and, and as we look at Jude, we can specifically think of Peter because many of the things that Jude says in his epistle is kind of just word for word of what the apostle Peter says in his letters. In 2 Peter 2.3, Peter warned that this tirade of apostate teaching would b- bombard the church in the last days. The last days, of course, are not something that we're kind of entering in just now. The last days began at Pentecost when the church began and will end when the Lord Jesus Christ comes for the second time. And so the Lord wants us to stay on course. But Jude reminds us here of, of the inspired predictions of the apostles what for? So as to warn us. You might say, warn us? Wow, well, we've had enough of warning. If verses 5 to 16 were not enough, why some more warning? Simply this, because Jude wants to make clear that his warnings here are not unique. 
not unique to him. He wants to make clear that he is the backing and the clout of the inspired apostles who were God's appointed messengers. These are those who spoke directly as God told them and they wrote as God told them. What for? For our good. For our spiritual education so we could be built up. Now this was in direct contrast to those false teachers. These hustlers of heresy, I've described them, who had crept into the church, they were all out to derail believers and only to cause division. That's what their agenda was. And these guys were worldly-minded and they were devoid of the Spirit, simply meaning that these guys were not even born again. They're not even genuine Christians according to the Word of God. Folks, and we have heaps of them like this these days. Men and women who are standing in pulpits just like this in churches, even in Adelaide this morning, who are devoid of the Spirit of God, not born again. Sad to say. So Jude warns us about the ongoing battle, this onslaught of upon the church and our personal lives. In other words, what he says, this is how it's going to be. This is how it's going to be. So he says, forget the inner biases of your heart that tempt you to veer off course. You know, that, that gut instinct, oh, I feel like this or I feel like this, or, I feel that this is wrong or whatever. I want to do what I want to do. Forget about that. Forget about all the external pressures the circumstances of life. We don't build our theology and our doctrine and our belief about God because of and on the basis of external pressures. Forget about all that. Forget about the stuff that the false teachers foist onto the church. And there are false teachers out there who teach this kind of heresy that have congregations of thousands who flock to them. So forget about them. Jude says all this will happen. It's been predicted. The church will be buffeted by such false teachers and teaching. But he says, but you, but you, what you must do is you must push on, you must keep on keeping on, you must remember that this kind of attack is normal and divinely predicted. This is going to be normal. This is normal. And it's divinely protected. You know, and this attack was going to be until the Lord comes. Things are not going to get easier. The church is not going to be free of these inroads of apostasy and false teaching and even teaching that sort of eats away at the fundamentals. It's not going to be free of that. Matter of fact, it's going to get worse and worse as the days go by. You know, as I think about this, I was thinking about it, it's kind of comforting to know, isn't it? Kind of comforting to know in a strange sort of way, this warning that things are not going to get better, they're going to get worse, and, and we're not going to have no respite from uh, dodgy teaching and celebrity preachers who are devoid of the spirit and are worldly and uh, are not examples, of, not a true shepherds of the flock. It's kind of comforting, really. You may say, why is that? You see, being forewarned is being forearmed, right? You know, we may not know all the specifics about our tomorrow, but one thing for sure, our tomorrows will see attacks from such ideologies and men as these. And being forewarned is forearmed. So that's good, isn't it? 
That's good. You see, this warning is about the evils that will be hurled against us. And that is good. Why? Because a believer who longs to survive and thrive will remember this kind of opposition was predicted by the apostles, by those divinely inspired men as they wrote. And believers who take this on board, believers who are forewarned and are forearmed will dig in. They'll stand strong against the foe. They'll discern what is right and what is wrong. My dear people, there is now a flood of such opposition against the faith once handed down for the saints. Here's my question. How will you stand? How will you stand? Will you contend? Are you forearmed in order to spiritually survive and thrive for the glory of God? Are you? That's the question that I put to you this morning individually. Then you may fire back, well, how do I do that? How do I get forearmed? How do I, how do I get the ability to contend? What's the recipe? Well, here's how you do that. Jude tells us the plan that we need to be using. God's plan for believers to spiritually thrive, survive and thrive, we see in this next section of verses 20 to 23. And this section falls into two parts as well. The first part is verses 20 to 21. Just follow along with me in your Bibles here and you'll pick up what I'm, what I'm talking about. And uh, in this verses 20 to 21, he speaks to us about how we need to minister to our own spiritual needs in order to spiritually flourish. Some people forget that. They think the Christian life's all about others, 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 others. No, no, no. Here's the plan. Here's God's plan. Forget about your old plan or someone else's plan. This is God's plan. Look at verse 20 and 21. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Now, if you look closely, forgive the grammar lesson, but you need to understand this. If you look closely at that sentence, you will see grammatically that there is only one imperative or one command or one verb can we say in this, sex, in this section, and that is the word keep. But closely associated with that one verb is three what we call participle clauses or participles. And that is three words saying building and praying and waiting. By the way, a participle, if you want to know, always kind of ends with an ing, build, ing, pray, ing. And waiting. So there we have three participles surrounding this one imperative command. Keep. Make, these participles kind of add flesh to it. They add practicality to what this main verb is about. And so the imperative or the command is keep yourselves in the love of God. You got that? That's the imperative. This is the key to staying on track in order to survive and thrive as a believer. Keep yourselves in the love of God means that we're to remain in the sphere of God's love. Or more simply, we're to keep ourselves in the place of God's blessing. That's pretty simple to understand, isn't it? And we want that, right? We want to be in the place of God's blessing. Of course we do. Perish the thought of stepping outside of the sphere of God's blessing or the sphere of God's love. In other words, stay where God has placed you 
For by his grace, through obedient faith at salvation, stay there in the place of blessing. But we might say, I thought it was God who saves and keeps us. And you're right, as we see that in verse 1. He has called us and he loves us and we're kept for Jesus Christ. But God's guarding, listen to this, but God's guarding and his preservation of his people, of his saints, does not minimize the believer's responsibility to persevere in the faith. You must understand that. And not only that, we must support one another's perseverance, which we're all doing this morning by being here, mind you, by the way, and by coming to home groups and by coming to prayer meetings and by ministering to one another during the week. We are encouraging one another's perseverance in the faith. A more practical explanation means this. You must stay and keep on staying in the place of obedience to God. Why have we introduced another word there, obedience? Simply this, because divine blessing is only promised as you remain in the sphere of love and obedience. You see, love and obedience are like a horse and carriage. They go together. You cannot separate them. You cannot separate them. John 15 and verse 10 says, Jesus says, If you keep my commandments, you abide in my what? You abide in my love. So if you want to stay in the love of God, keep yourself in the love of God, you've got to be obedient. Otherwise, if you are not, you are stepping right outside the sphere of God's love. And that's not a good place for a believer to be. If we do that, by the way, the scriptures also speak clearly on what that's like. We'll be putting ourselves in a place where we uh, be chastised by God. Hebrews 12 verse 6 says that. God will chastise those whom he loves if we are disobedient. So in order to survive and thrive spiritually for the glory of God, you must keep yourselves in the love of God. So how do we do that? That's the question. Lots of questions here. How do we do that? Okay, we know that we must keep ourselves in the love of God, but how do we do that? This is where the, this is where the participle clauses come in. We keep ourselves in the love of God by first building yourselves up in the most holy faith. In other words, to remain or keep in the sphere of God's love, we must be doctrinally sound. Folks, it's only if, when we are doctrinally sound, will we be able to discern truth from error so that we can obediently and rightly and correctly contend the faith. The sense of this phrase is that we must be involved in this effort. Now I know we've got scholars and Bible scholars and, and men who know the Greek and the Hebrew and, the, and all sorts of things and men who, who God has gifted the church down through the years and, and still presently that are, are Bible scholars, we're not talking about that we've got to arrive there. It's not talking about that. But it does mean that we are to be involved in building. It's, not a, it's, it's a command. It has the idea of the command because it's associated with us keeping, keeping ourselves in the love of God. It's linked closely to this. So it's not like an optional extra. It's not as if, okay, I'm going to become a Christian and then just live how I like. No, no, that's an oxymoron. A genuine Christian will want to be involved in being doctrinally sound. So the idea of building yourselves up is a, it's a construction metaphor. You'll know that. Alex and any builder will know that. 
And um, it carries a sense of, of being built upon a specific foundation. And in this case, the foundation is what? The most holy faith. Because it says, building yourself up on the most holy faith. The faith that Jude has in mind here, by the way, is not your subjective trust in Jesus Christ, which every believer has. Yes, we must personally put our trust and, and belief in the Lord and what he's done for us at Calvary and, uh, and wholeheartedly believe and trust in that. That is a subjective thing and that's a, that's a, that's a business arrangement, can I put it, a, a, a trust arrangement between us and God and God sees our heart and, and we pour out our hearts to God and trust and call upon him to save us because of what he's done on the cross. That's a personal thing. This is not what he's talking about here. This is not the faith that he's talking about here. The faith that Jude has in mind here is not that subjective trust. It's it's not faith in something. But it's that objective body of biblical truth as in the scriptures. It's the gospel. This is the most holy faith. It's the faith that we've looked at in verse 3. Once for all delivered to the saints. This is what Jude is talking about here. This is what you've got to build yourself up on. It's building and developing our faith on this objective, objective body of truth. This is about our ongoing sanctification. And it means to practically build your life on the milk of the word, the truth of scriptures. So the first way we are to keep ourselves in the love of God is to care deeply about doctrine and be attentive to the content of the faith. Build your lives on the truth, folks. It's my words for you. You're to love the truth. You're to cling to the truth. Make God's truth a priority for you and your families day by day living. Because you see, if you don't grip onto this body of truth, the truth from God will not grip you. And you'll be unable to discern truth from error. Simple. That's how it works. Keep yourselves in the love of God by being Bible people, people who are doctrinally sound. Now, I wonder if you're getting there. I wonder if you're working on that. What's your personal plan? Because if it's only just rocking up the church once a week, I'll tell you that plan will dead. It'll be hopeless. Are you being diligent in this pursuit? Are you reading your Bibles daily? Are you studying the Word? Are you taking every opportunity to build on the most holy faith? John wrote as an encouragement in his first epistle, chapter 2, verse 14, because you are strong and the Word of God abides in you, you have overcome the evil one. Keep yourselves in the love of God by building yourselves up in the most holy faith. And, and the second part of that, we keep ourselves, or the second part is we keep ourselves in the love of God by praying in the Holy Spirit. You see that there? We're to pray in the Holy Spirit. Now, this is not speaking about tongues, speaking in tongues here. This has nothing to do with that. This is not about talking in some ecstatic prayer form that belongs to another dimension uh, and, and, it's, and it's not norm for Christians. This is not that. He's simply articulating that our praying is to be consistent with the will of the Holy Spirit, the will of God. In other words, our praying is to be in line with the will of God as revealed in what? 
revealed in our hearts or revealed in our minds? No, as revealed in his word. In other words, for you to pray in the Holy Spirit, you must be men and women of the book. And if you're not men and the women of the book, your prayers will be all over the place. They probably won't even get past the roof. But to pray in the Spirit. It's to be in line with the will of God as revealed in his word. But wow, if we really get honest with ourselves, that's always not easy to detect, right? It's not always easy to detect. Often there are issues in life that have us kind of gobsmacked for words in our prayer. We don't know what to pray for. We're left like stunned mullets. Often we flounder for adequate words and understanding to express the will of the Holy Spirit in any of these matters. And so sometimes simply we do not know. We pray for it. Lord, give us a building for this church. Lord, uh, um, for the sickness I have, Lord, heal me. But we do not know if that is the positive answer that we want is the direct mind and the will of the Spirit of God, do we? We don't know. We pray and hope. That's okay. You know, that's okay. We're not God. Some of those specifics are not given to us in his word. And then again, we can also be guilty of just going through the motions. In other words, just mouthing off words, not really playing at all. And so Jude says here, do not do that. Pray in the spirit. Pray for real. Pray dependently and submissively upon the ministry and the help of the Holy Spirit. In other words, we pray to God understanding that the Holy Spirit will bring everything accurately and rightly before the throne of God, even if we make mistakes and we pray amiss sometimes. You see, if we get it ignorant really wrong sometimes, it is he who intercedes with genuine sympathy for us to the Father. Isn't that awesome? Do we have an interceder? So when we pray, it's, he kind of filters our prayers and sorts out the, the wrong stuff and the right stuff and, um, and puts it accurately to the Father. It is he who puts it, Romans 8, 26 and 27 says, according to the will of God. So when we pray, the Spirit of God presents it to the Father according to his will. So when you pray for that healing and you get no answer, be assured that your prayers are not a waste of time, but your prayers have been presented to God according to his will. Keep yourself in the love of God by praying in the Spirit in the Spirit or in accordance with the will of God. Thirdly, we keep ourselves in the love of God by waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So to keep ourselves in the love of God, this future event is to be waited and welcomed, waited for and welcomed. It kind of has the idea of, of waiting with great expectancy. That's what it has. has behind it. Believers who live in the sphere of God's love will have this glorious event on their radar, so to speak. 
This way I have gotten used to the idea and I, uh, and I very rarely say, well, this is what I'm going to do, this is what I'm going to do. Uh, you will often hear me, God willing, and that just doesn't come off because, hey, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. The Lord may come and that'll be far better, right? We don't even know if we're going to be here next Sunday. This may be my last Sunday, but this may be your last Sunday as well. And that'll be good, won't it, for believers? If you're not a believer, it's not going to be so good. To wait expectantly. It talks about here eternal life, but we already enjoy, we have eternal life, right? We've been given eternal life, absolutely. We know that we may, these bodies of ours may go into a grave, but it's not the, a death that's just beyond the extinction, as it were. These bodies may go into the road, but our spirits are taken up to the Lord and one day those bodies are going to be raised and eternally with the Lord, changed and made fit for heaven. So we enjoy eternal life. And we've also tasted God's mercy, right? Every single believer here has tasted the mercy of God in salvation. He's been kind to us. He's been good to us. We've deserved his wrath, but in his love and his mercy, he has bestowed grace and favour and saved us from his wrath. But Jude says here, you ain't seen nothing yet in comparison to what God has in store for you, for the believer. That's what he says. He's saying, you better believe it, there's more to come. There's a whole lot more to come. Because in heaven you will experience the fullness of the mercy of God. I don't know what that's going to be like, but it's going to be awesome. You may enjoy it now, but it's nothing compared to what we're going to enjoy when we think about the mercy of God. And he says, in heaven you will enjoy the fullness of eternal life. I know I have eternal life, and if I drop dead now, I'll be ushered into the presence of God. Okay, which is far better. But in heaven, folks, in heaven, I will enjoy eternal life far more than I can enjoy it now. My dear people, I can rightly say in the authority of God... The half has not been told. And those who want to spiritually survive and thrive, you know what? They'll be waiting anxiously for this day. Are you waiting? Or are you fearful of it? You shouldn't be fearful. Every believer should be waiting anxiously. Keep yourselves in the love of God by expectantly waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. I trust you're all waiting this morning. As we come to verses 22 and 23, we see that Jude shifts our focus from ministering to ourselves to ministering to others, evangelistically. Isn't that awesome? So it's not all about ourselves. Remember, this is the big plan. This is how we flourish as, as Christians in our Christian living. He divides these people up who are both, can I say, a menace and a mission field in the church. He divides them up into three groups. So the first group are those folk who are really confused and have their faith shaken by what they have taken on board from these false teachers or from even their own thinking or their own, um, own selves. Jude says, have mercy on those who doubt. Have mercy on those who doubt. In other words, don't be alarmed or shocked by these people's questions or what they say. Don't shun people like this who are confused and doubt. Don't treat them like lepers because they, 
you know, these people are really struggling spiritually. They're really struggling. And we, we all know folks like this, right? I know you're thinking of people right this now. And maybe you're thinking of yourself. Oh, I'm really struggling spiritually and I've got lots of questions. These people may have hurt us at times. They may have even offended us by what they've said. They're unsure anymore about what is true and what is false. These are those who are weak and spiritually weak I'm talking about and they easily fall prey to wrong doctrine. Maybe something they've read or maybe something they've heard from someone else or whatever. They easily fall prey to the plethora of ideologies out there and wrong doctrine. We can be so off quick to write such people off simply because they're not on the same page as us. These people are often struggling with their own ignorance and doubt on eternal matters. That's what happens. You know what they need? They need our mercy, not our punishment. Show mercy to those who doubt. Then the second group we are to minister to are those who have wandered off or perhaps simply maybe just unbelievers outside the church. It says in verse 23, save others by snatching them out of the fire. You see that? Now here is a, a, a straight up exhortation to evangelize. And this is often hard work, folks. These folks are hard work. Some of you all know that firsthand. You know, we are right to wait from Jesus Wait for Jesus to come in mercy and take us to heaven. We are right in doing that, to wait expectantly. But as we're waiting, let us not forget that while we wait, while we wait, many others are facing the fire of hell forever. You get that? You see, this is not a call here. Jude is not giving a call to pray. This is not a call for, for, all, for even for mercy. Mercy and prayer and quiet times, that are important, but here for these folks, this is not a call for prayer and for mercy. It's a call to go and save them and rescue them. It's be proactive, do something, say something. Someone was burning in a, in, in a house that maybe they were unaware of and we hear that happening over and over in Adelaide where people are asleep and their house is on fire and, and some brave person has gone in and busted the house and rescued them. Well, that's what it's got to do. That's what you've got to do. You need to do. We need to do for people who are on their way to hell. Rescue them. It's not a call to... Go tell them it's a call, I should say, to tell them the truth of God's rescue mission. And what do we bring them? Bring them to church? No, no, don't do that. Don't do that. People get the idea that, okay, to be better and to be a Christian, I've got to go to church. No, 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 no. When you rescue people, you make sure you bring them to Jesus Christ. You don't bring them to yourself. You don't bring them to me. You don't bring them to some church or religion. or whatever. You bring them, first of all, to the only one who can deliver and save them, and that is Jesus Christ and him alone. And when they are saved, as they get saved, and as they put their trust in Jesus Christ, you know what? They will want to be with people of like mind and they will come to church of their own free will. Snatching people as brands from the burning, from the clutches of hell. That's what we've got to do here. I wonder, do you, do I, love our neighbours enough to save them from the fire? 
our neighbours are, everyone we come in contact with, not just our physical neighbours who we live with, but everyone in the workplace, all those people whom the Lord has brought across our paths. Do we love enough to save them from the fire? You know, the only way to do that is by crushing their false beliefs. Crushing their false beliefs with what? With your clever rhetoric? No. With the power of God's truth. If you want to read about that, you go to 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 to 5. You'll see something of the power of God's truth, how it crushes ideologies and thoughts and brings people into submission to Christ. And then the third group are those who may well break our hearts simply because of their blatant refusal to heed our efforts to win them. I know you all know people like that. These are the dangerous ones. On some have mercy with fear, hating even the garments polluted by the flesh. In other words, these are the some who are completely in the grip of their sinful ways and pleasures and they have no time for the gospel and their hearts are like stone towards spiritual truth in the scriptures. I know heaps of folks like that, people. I'm sure you do too. Well, Jude says here, show them mercy. Show them mercy. And then he says something interesting and he says, and yet hate everything they do with their life but have mercy with fear. You see that? Hate even the garment polluted by the flesh. This is an interesting word. And Jude gets really down to earth. He gets almost crude. Because the word garment, polluted garment here, is soiled underwear. Now, I don't know about you, but if I had a whole pile of clothes there and if I saw some soiled underwear, that would probably be the last thing I want to touch. It's underwear that's been polluted with bodily excrement. That's what this word is here. So Jude doesn't pull any punches. He gets right down to the tin tacks to try and make it as graphic as he can to illustrate. He says, show mercy with fear. Keep your distance from their sinful ways, just as you would from a person's polluted underwear. Simply this, because the closer you get to fire the easier it is to become burned. That's the idea here. Hate the sin they are embroiled in, but be merciful to the sinner. Now we have a big movement in the evangelical church that is absolutely false, and we've stood up against it here in this church, praise the Lord, that in order to win the lost, you need to become like them. You've heard of that before? You need to kind of mix in with them, talk like them, dress like them, rock with them, party with them, whatever. Have a church like them, like they would like. Be very, very careful. We've got to keep ourselves in the love of God. We need to get into the Word. We need to pray. We need to wait for Jesus Christ and we need to do evangelism. Easier said than done, right? I know that. It's easier said than done. But have a look who's got our backs. Have a look who's got our backs. Look at who never fails in providing all we need for our good and his glory. This is where we come to the last point and I'll wrap up on this. You see, God's provision for believers to survive and thrive to the glory of God. Verse 24 and 25, I have to read this. 
Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Saviour, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. See, Jude concludes his letter with this praise. And this is a marvellous benediction that exalts God our Saviour and brings, gives all glory to him. And we often quote this at the end of our our messages and our services here. But the reason for this praise and this doxology, as we sometimes call it, he is able to keep you from stumbling and to protect and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with joy. Folks, God is able to keep you. In other words, you are not standing here as a Christian and battling along and we're in amidst all our failures, which we're all guilty of, He hasn't left us alone. God is able to keep you. You know what a relief that promises. Genuine believers will be kept. The one who has called you by his grace, the one who has covenanted his love to you is the one who will keep you for his glory and fill you with joy. How come? How come? How can he do that? Because he is able. Simply that, because he is able. Because he's God. You see, he will not allow any of his called and beloved ones to be lost. We are forever his. We are forever safe in the hollow of the Saviour's hand. And John 10 says, no one can snatch them out of my hand or no one can take them out of my Father's hand. He will keep you and present you faultless before the throne of God. Simply this, because he is able. Do you believe that? Because he is able. My God is able to carry me through sometimes we sing. So yes, to spiritually survive and thrive, we must keep ourselves in the love of God. But he will keep us. Both are true. Both are true. Both must be held together. Never one at the expense of another. My prayer and longing of my heart as I leave this pulpit as that you would press on, that each believer would press on and fight on and keep on going. But as you do, understand that the Lord is at work in you to will and to do his good pleasure. He fights for you and with you. He will keep you. Why? Because he's able. And so to follow the example of Jude in order to survive and thrive, in Christian living. Let us understand the problems that are predicted. They will come. They will continue. And let us follow the plan provided to keep ourselves in the love of God. And let us glory in God's awesome provision that he is able And read that benediction again. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Saviour, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen.